0: Place the sometime podcast. The last installment was, I think, a few months ago. It sounds like a captain's log, doesn't it? I last entered the ice three months ago and I just found my pen. So, this is Liz Taylor, and I'm sitting here in North Melbourne with a guest who I've invited on because I thought opportunistically it could fit the theme. And also, it's summer holiday so I have time to, to do a podcast again. So, I'm sitting with Professor of Urban Policy Brendan Gleason of the University of Melbourne. Hello, Brendan. Hi, oh, Liz. And we're sitting here, not in a random spot, we're here at the garden. Is it Gardener's or Gardener?
1: Gardener.
0: And it's not like a man that gardens, it's a person called Gardener. Gardener. It is,
1: but it was a man.
0: Yep, Gardener yep. Reserve in North Melbourne, which has a whole. I don't think the original park has that interesting a story, but it's certainly some of its recent developments, I think, are really revealing of um, changes in the landscape in inner Melbourne. And you've taken a particular interest in Gardener Reserve? So Brendan Gleeson is professor and he's formerly the director of the Melbourne Sustainable Society Institute and other kinds of big institutes. I'm sort of thinking scale-wise it was like society, city, world, you know, oh, yes. um, <laughs> big, big picture. But you've taken more of an interest in these kind of local things and that's why I've heard some of your local and side interests and thought they're really quite interesting up my alley. They include, and not are not limited to, being part of a, a new independent publishing what you call it, press called Shield Street Press, named for North Melbourne Shield Street.
1: Yep, well Shield Street is the street just abutting us here in Garden Reserve, and that's, I live in a block of flats just opposite the park we're sitting in, built a few years ago, and it's on Shield Street. Some people might know Shield Street because it's also got the public records That's office what I associate
0: with it, so I thought, when I heard the name Shield Street, I thought, oh this is a press for people who are enthusiasts of the public <laughs> records
2: office.
1: <laughs> oh we can get onto that I think they might be a little bit upset with me at the moment because I've got a campaign to get them to try and stop the deterioration of an historic building that public records office have around here near the gasworks and they've been a bit slow to respond so they I've have a in. whole
0: box of records on you probably that's got yeah. red letters on it um, so you have the Shield Street Press you've written a book of poems <laughs> about Gardner Reserve yep. with some slightly ironic bureaucratic themes as well And you're also researching, believe it or not, the life and times of a cockatoo who lived in a pub in North Melbourne. Is that a fair summary of some of your...
1: That'll do for (laughs) now. There was a book before this. I mean, I've stepped off the plate from academic work dealing with health issues. So I'm offline from the uni. I'm still a professor there, but I've been offline since middle of uh 2021 and i've been concentrating on this kind of health journey and trying to get myself right to go back at some point point. Uh, and in that time i have actually published two books of poetry the first one is called nocturnes it's about dreams and poems and, and but the one more immediately now is the second one which is this little drama set here in Gardiner reserve the pitcher palms. records okay. of the lost property
0: department of Gardiner reserve Yep. featuring a non-smoking site on the front is that
1: a theme in the, the book it's not but it's clearly a theme in the municipal mind right yeah right I just think you walk into here uh, and there's and look let me say I love everything the city of Melbourne has done about this park and rehabilitating it over the last and improving it over the last few years and great plaudits to them but we can always still find whimsy and fun in the things that you know municipal and academic you know, I'll send myself up. Uh, what we do in terms of our own over corporatized way of thinking about the world these days. but yeah there's a cover image here which is the Gardener Reserve sign as you walk in. and the major thing they want to tell you is this whopping great you know um, no smoking sign um, as you come in to this beautiful natural um, place. We, by the way yeah, that, that's, you...
0: that ambience is not um, great. You can know you do a
1: podcast one day on the fact that no one cares about urban noise anymore. No I regulates. care, and I
0: think that is uh, that is a good theme for a podcast, yeah, yes, anyway. um, and it suits po- suits going around recording annoying noises. All we right. were saying don't smoke, the non-smoking sign is a super regulated aspect of public parks and public life. I'm surprised there's not more no this, like, usually my favourite sign is the one that it does sometimes say pick up after your dog, but it more often has a little silhouette of a dog doing poo, and with a no, it's like take note don't don't be shameful and have your dog poo there so that's oh you've got some more here okay no scooting well,
1: in there i mean that.
0: Is that from here we're looking in the first pages okay. of the
1: book where i i use street signs from around here to set up this faux sort of corporate um overview no. so i walked around here with my phone taking photographs for the palms but also setting up this corporate overview in the beginning of the book because so i've set up this um, yeah you know, fictitious agency called the Lost Property Department of Gardener Reserve, and the poems are all about correspondence with the um, Lost Property Department. It's uh, lost property, not lost property. Lost, we can yeah. get onto that, yeah. L-O-S-S, not L-O-S-T. And so, but I did this corporate overview in the beginning, and I used street signs around here as my strict rule to do things like, yeah, mobility plan. So there's a sign near here that says no scooters no skating no skateboarding just no no bag. no 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 no. things like that anyway uh if anyone ever gets to see the book they'll see what i'm on about i've even got a thing of personnel there and i've got myself in there as the ethics officer
0: oh you're the person that oversees behavior in the park
1: or no yeah, well no in the agency right not in the park there you know it's,
0: and the CEO is the the spider that you mentioned the so there's a piece the playground. of playground equipment here that was sent off for the background is that gardener reserve's been here since date in like 19th century sometime a much neglected pocket park it was expanded about five years ago I think massive amount of planting it's quite quite a different place now. The, the sad little playground that used to be mm-hmm. here, the only thing that remains is a piece of equipment that looks like a spider, which you said was in the old playground and has gone it off was, from yeah. New York. And now it's the
1: CEO of your lost property department. Yes. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> took it away and re-sprayed it. I think it's a her. I'm just um, not sure why, but I think...
0: Spiders are often feminised, it's
1: true. Yeah, yeah, they're often associated in that sense. But this... Yeah, something about it. It's uh, pleasant but threatening at the same time. But um, So, anyway, that's the spider. That's the one thing that survived from the old playground. But they've added all these other lovely little, little animal y things around it. So, they've, they're all featured in the book as well as staff members.
0: So, it's been, the park has been renewed and it's the site of the usual things of interest to urban planners, so, public space. Urban forests, public toilets—we were talking about before—and micro regulations. But it's also a place you just spend a lot of time. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. Well, it's—I mean—I find it such a um, pleasant place for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, it's on my track, my go track. I walk up to Errol Street. Um, I do sometimes go to a pub in Errol Street. Well, more than sometimes, and it's on the way. Or other things I need in Errol Street. That's like the high street in North Melbourne here. So I would walk through this from my block of flats on the park, and so I experience it almost every day. And I have developed this really, over the last couple of years, this really quotidian sense of it, of its rhythms, of how people are here, and then you walk past the children's playground. That triggers for me, because you know my two kids are growing up now, but uh, it remembers, reminds me how much time I spend at playgrounds, and how important they are when you've got kids. and how they differ in quality and all that and this is a really really good one so there's all those kind of little triggers and things but it's also in a place that's rapidly going to higher density and there's we're on the arden redevelopment zone yeah, that's here right. um there's going to be masses and masses more people moving in here these spaces are just so important but you just see people picnicking and there's free barbecues and um and a public
0: toilet. I put a plug in for the
1: public toilet. Again. Put a plug in for the public Not toilet. Not the greatest
0: public toilet, but it's there. You it's campaigned for it, Brendan.
1: No. Well, I you yeah, supported I, there it. There was consultation. The council did a really good job. And in, in after fixing, uh, renewing, and extending, and beautifying this park, they then came through and had a consultation to ask to say, well, we're proposing to put in a public toilet and. It was obvious, it's, uh, there's always opponents to public toilets whereas I think they're just such a vital piece of community infrastructure, um, ground level infrastructure. So no, I wrote a deposition strongly in favour of it and I said to the council as a resident I'll be looking out over it for my flat, probably a bit of a weird thing to say, <laughs> uh, I'll keep an eye on it. Because people associate them with sort of misbehaviour and well, here goes a bit of urban noise. Yeah. Um, but I, In about a year we've had it since, There's no, apart from the graffiti people who turn up and spray it. I think they just
0: identify all new objects and destroy them temporarily. They can't keep it up forever though. That's my sense of it. It doesn't, it hasn't attracted anything beyond that. that
1: No. And it's already, if you can see on top of it, it's got plants growing in its leaves, which is pretty weird. (laughs) Considering
0: it looks like a source, like it looks like it doesn't have eaves, it looks like a sort of self, it looks like a tin can. It's one of those space toilets that we were discussing the merits of these before. My main association with, I'd call them space toilets. This is a sort of self cleaning, exolute toilet, is that when you close the door, it plays a um, music version of what the world needs now is love, sweet, love. But your association with it is that a robotic voice tells you that your maximum use time is five minutes or is it 10 i can't remember whatever it is it's a voice telling you in a midwestern accent that you have well, a maximum ease time
1: a big issue for me is anxiety, you know, because like many people, I feel I'm prone to anxiety. And I wonder how much we program anxiety into our world unnecessarily. So to go into this public toilet and then they have this thick American Midwestern accent to tell you immediately, you've got to be out of here. Or <laughs> we're going to, And you can imagine people fearing exposure, you know, we're just going to open the door on you if you haven't yeah, finished yep. in. You know, maximum use time is three minutes or something. You think, wow, okay, what have we got to get done here? Three yeah. minutes—is that going to be enough? It does seem to um, be a
0: particularly high-pressure environment to have have a voice in a timeline and things like that. So yes, I think that is part of the.
1: the so, <laughs> a plea to council is: can we rewire? Can we resound these toilets? They could just say welcome, instead yeah. <laughs> or nothing. Well, they could have what you know, the indigenous welcome. You know, yeah. the, uh, why not? You know, have that in there. Oh, they
0: could read your poetry, Grendon. <laughs> door
1: locked.
2: Your maximum use time is 10 minutes. Press button to unlock door.
0: Can we go back to... So we're on Gardner Reserve, and you said you're off work, but I was struck by you saying you haven't read academic text and academic theory in over a year, but you are reading a lot, and you're writing a lot. You've just taken more of a turn of interest towards, how would you describe it, away from concepts or towards material things or local places. Is it something intrinsic about North Melbourne or is it just sort of
1: re-centering what you think about? Well, you know, as I said, I'm on a health journey and there's a reason I can't be at my, you know, much-loved workplace um, at the University of Melbourne. And as part of that, I've had to just... to deal with my health issues, to just disengage, I've needed to do that, Um, and I speak regularly to a psychologist, I don't mind saying that, lots of people do, lots of people should, Um, and it's all been part of that, and just in terms of trying to get my health back together again, I've needed to disengage from what I've been doing for a long, long time, and that's been academic work, and I just haven't actually been capable of doing it in this Time, that's the issue. So what I've had to try and do is discover some other, you know, capacities just to survive and get on and, and live and, and try and build my health. And those capacities have been, or interests, uh, have seen me or, or in that exploration really focused on my everyday world and everything around me. And as part of all this, I haven't been able to drive. I don't, I don't want to drive, you know, drive my car. Um,
0: no complaints here
1: <laughs> yeah no I've, I don't imagine you'd be <laughs> opposed to that but, I, idea, but
0: it's different if you don't choose it I suppose yeah,
1: yeah 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 yeah. but no I just haven't been able to drive it I mean I've done a, a little bit here and there but um, so you experience world by walking experience yeah. world by walking and have just become much more closely observant and intensely engaged in my everyday world here in North Melbourne and this part of North Melbourne in particular, which is Hotham Hill, um, right down to there's a little shopping centre around the corner, you know I've done work, a lot of work on disability, so I'm interested in disability and urban dis- you know, the urban facilities and all that. I noticed <laughs> uh, beginning of this year that the, and these are relatively new shopping centre, Hotham Gardens, the disabled toilet was always locked and mm. I thought, just as I'd be walking past going to the supermarket, What's going on here? And I ended up speaking to the security guard. He said, Oh yes, no, the cleaners, it's just locked up and the cleaners use it for storage. Oh. oh no. So I got on the council and we got that fixed. But that's a level of observational everyday detail I would not have been capable of. Um, so it's When like you're going
0: to work all the time you have other yeah. schedules and travelling and, and yeah. flying your, your world. Yeah of course, that world, the travelling world. Mm.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, it's been very much about this b- being rescaled. There's books come out of it because I, I've, I've been these this reserve so often that I've started to notice the left behind objects. And as a parent, yeah. I, a lot of the early stuff I saw was left at the playground. I'll just be walking through, and kids, you know, kids, you know, yeah, you lose they have so no sense stuff, of um, objects. Um, mm. kids, you, know, you would know it as a parent, or you will. They have something.
0: no sense of ownership until they're like, "Where's?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, and then, and then you tear up the whole side looking for this small It'll be terrible plastic toy you
1: kids teach you they are, they'll have an emotional attachment yes. to that thing mm. the way you as a parent don't really understand you think, oh you lost your swimming goggles they were my special eyes yeah, or something. And you're yeah. Like, oh, okay yeah um, so
0: then when you see other people's discarded things you're thinking of the that memory or you're thinking of that association of emotional life of objects
1: and well, what set the whole thing off, is I was walking through here one evening, just after everyone had gone home, I think, for dinner, I was walking through the playground part of it, and there on one of the sort of ornamental rocks sitting was a pair of little girls. Um, I'm just showing this now in the book. Little plate, shoes. Little sparkly shoes from a little... You
0: know, when I, was on, I got on the bus here, and there was a little girl who would have worn, had shoes pretty much like that, maybe four years old, on the bus. Yeah. And one of her shoes had fallen off and she was crying and oh. the father was like, spotted it just before they got off and picked it up. So anyway, oh, that's what it says. He it. did. Oh, yeah. I needed a good end to that story. Anyway. This, this stuff upsets. That's a, not just one shoe, it's two of them.
1: <laughs> well, the, here's these two shoes and they're set in outwards, you know, like a, in the opposite way they should be. But mm. someone kindly has put them up on a rock like they've seen that it's little girls left these sparkly fairy shoes behind. You want to read this, Playground Shoes? Yeah, okay, I'll read. So there's a picture of um, these little sparkly shoes on a rock. So <clears throat> this is the first poem I ever wrote. I just wrote it straight away onto my phone as I do with all these when I take the photo and then the poem comes out. And it's called Playground Shoes. Set on a rock with courtly care, two sweet remains turn outwards in a searching flare for the princess they ached to bear.
0: Hmm.
1: The shoes want their owner back. The shoes want their owner back. And they're, yeah, they're, what am I Instead of left to right, they're, you know, they're around the wrong way. And so they're (laughs) flaring outwards. Um, But here's the personal link. Why did I, and this set the whole thing in train for writing this book and doing these palms. I was emotionally triggered by that and I couldn't work out why. And then I sent that picture and the palm to my sister and she said, Oh my God! That's the shoes your daughter wore, wore to our wedding. Oh. This is uh, Allison. My daughter is now 18, so we're talking about 14 years ago. Mm. And I can now really remember these shoes. And then I sent it. My daughter lives with her mother, with um, divorce, in Germany. I sent it to Allison. She said, "Oh yeah, they're my shoes, Dad." She knew it. So that was kind of the emotional start of it. And then I thought started thinking about loss and Hence the title. things yeah. left behind and mm. so there's a few from the playground but then it started coming lots more of stuff left generally around adult stuff and there's a poem about mr crate a milk crate left in the <laughs> that one? corner and that's kind of weird for some reason milk crates turn up here yeah there's, i
0: can't explain that there's another one <laughs>
1: turned up i it mrs crate
0: right okay they're looking for each other yeah <laughs> The yeah, what's the connection there? Maybe there's a milk dis- distributor around here, or they, used to, they people used to use milk crates for like seats, I guess.
1: But well, when I I was a young guy, and we all have records. Yeah, we, that's right. People used to... they were in such demand. Steal and steal them, Expensive people would steal them to, for their mm-hmm. record collections, and now they're just cast away. Like yeah, not, they don't have value, so they're one of those commodities. Uh, obviously, had use value as milk mm. crates but that was just so in my lifetime just oh exactly he's got his the right, on a milk crate how exactly did do the right it? size and really tough and they remain as it says threateningly on the side of this one it's up mm. in my flat i shouldn't be admitting this but the property of the dairy that's I right can't mention it and you can you know it can be resumed from you at any time <laughs> this crate so. i
0: love how a piece of plastic can be threatening as well. It's got emblazoned with this, you know, ne- never going to be erased either. Like the dairy's probably closed down 10 years ago. Who knows? But there's still a sense that this is in not your property and um, well, this something is will Co- come.
1: this is from Coburg Dairy. <laughs> pretty, like, pretty sure they, that
0: one's gone. Is it? They Unless s- they kept the name and moved or something. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's for investigation. The title, Loss, obviously Lost Property, so you're interested in... And this is what I was thinking about a bit in terms of what I, what associations I make with this book and Lost Objects, because there's a bit of a sort of... I wouldn't say uh, it, it's an interest, or there's, there's people who have an interest in found objects, and there's a magazine that became a series of books called Found that um, people just send in... And, more on the line of notes and photos and things like that, but found objects or they take photos of them and that's part of the game or the sort of the connection you make is that you don't actually know whose shoes they are or if it's a note, you only see a little tiny part of it. You don't really know the story, but you're guessing and you're sort of making your own, putting your own life in it. So there are people that love that stuff and there's found, I don't know if it's still going, but it ran into several volumes for a while. And recently they had up, I'm pretty sure it was up in Canberra, Sydney, an exhibition of found post-it notes with, like, shopping <laughs> notes on it, which I was like, <laughs> where has this been all my life? I, I have a I little box at home of, I wouldn't pick up a pair of shoes, but, like, little photos, notes, postcards you find. I actually will buy, you can go into certain collectible shops, you can buy old postcards that have actually been posted and have, um, oh, yeah. you know, and they become, you know, their own game of, like, who are these people and why are they sort of people used to send postcards that were quite they're sort of friendly but terse as well. Like one so I still wonder about these people that I have their postcards from the 1920s. It's like, I'm having a great time. Why didn't you land on my last letter from Flo? It's like, who is this person? Did they ever get over there? Anyway, so that's Found magazine. And one of the early, I think even pre-dating found, and when I say pre-dating, I'm talking like it's centuries ago, this is sort of late 90s early 2000s, pre-internet viral, was a, um, a famous poster what became a famous poster called Lost Cat, I think I mentioned that oh, too yeah, you did, yeah. Lost Cat um, he's called Speckles <laughs> this, you know classic thing you'll see in public places is the Lost Cat and this one had it was literally L-O-S-S and it didn't seem to be ironic it was someone that couldn't or had trouble with English. Not lost cat, lost cat. And the photo of the cat was had its mouth open and it looked really distressed and kind of <laughs> not wanting to be found. And then the description underneath he said, and I'm going from memory here because it's such a memorable thing. Uh, speckles, I think his name was, limps dirty, doesn't come when called. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoa, uh, family show you could you could uh, you could unpack that one carefully um, right
0: so this this early this lost cat photo became kind of like so it horrifyingly engaging and sort of speculation about is the speckles want to be found or what happened to speckles but obviously the owner cared yeah. enough to put this, that it went like viral before pre-viral and it's part of that a bit of a cultural thing about collecting discarded objects, which, and this is the sort of highbrow thought I had about poetry about found or sort of discarded objects. It did remind me a bit of the Walter Benjamin Paris Arcades project, which, yep. unfinished project, but he was interested or sort of an unfinished quest to kind of understand and make sense of parts of Paris in the, when is this his 1940s? That were kind of had been modern like 40 years ago, and now were sort of forgotten overlook places full of detritus. Op shop, they weren't called op shops, but he, Walter Benjamin, would wander these little tiny little overlook urban spaces, and particularly took interest in the objects that turned up there, like old umbrellas and books and stuff, and wonder, first of all. How did they get to be there? I think that's part of my fascination with them because um, an object evokes a story and your own story and that was what he was making. But he's also talking about that idea of um, transience, how compelling it is. We don't have proper English language description of it, I think um, other languages might. The sense of something being beautiful because it's transient and when a city everything's transient and if it isn't then it's just becoming a ruin and he's thesis in part was that these discarded things that turned up in the arcades, which had been amazingly desirable consumer objects ten years ago, and now it's just some junk that you throw away and put open a shop or forget in a park. It kind of is encapsulates modernity as well, that modernity is always that sense of oh, I want it, I want it, and then you throw it away. And then, so people that are interested in discarded objects, sometimes it's, it's part of an interest in that constant churning of capitalism and cities and how you get things and throw them away so that's what I noticed (laughs) that sense of ephemera and if you stop and notice it then it's you know it's not just an object it's a kind of part of this whole interconnected thing which he Walter Benjamin struggled to make sense of I think I had a quote here gathering together the city's discarded fragments to try to assemble a whole I don't he didn't quite kind of get there, but that wasn't was trying to do.
1: Bricolage yeah. No, I think I I, I don't declare myself an expert on Walter Benjamin's Arcades Project. I know a bit about it, and read a bit. I think I sent you an email exchange.
0: That your favourite Walter Benjamin piece was um, smoke. What's it called? Hashish in Marseille. Hashish in Marseille.
1: <laughs> I really recommend it. It's in a Susan Sontag edited version of One Way Street, this mm. collection of essays. But it's in that great. Tradition of those like from Baudelaire and also you know Marcus Clark here in Melbourne the mm. 19th century, he experimented with these drugs and then wrote it up to because yeah. they weren't prohibited at that point. Try and explain, you know, what was going on and why why people were interested in this, but also to bring it into literature, you know, to try and actually write it up. Um, but it's it's a it's a hell of an essay, Hashish in Marseille. So leave leave that to the side perhaps. But yeah, I think he he. His the thing with him is that tension between in, you know, consumptive capitalism and the retail and capitalism that unfolded the 19th century and between assertion, you know, permanence and impermanence and decay and you know, he's sort of wandering around seeing this, the, the left behind stuff, the residuum uh, of urban consumption and capitalism and you know the um, fraying and the um, yeah just the kind of detritus left behind, but also the sort of in betweeny spaces, railways, railway bits and bobs, and those. There's been actually some other interesting writings in France about those sort of dead spaces, or and They're not dead in the sense that they're still maybe very active or important, or that they're dead to our imagination or our to sensibility. And I think your work on parking has yeah. brought that back to us you know it's well, a major part of our world but who thinks and talks about it and i think you're sick of thinking and talking about it
0: but i think it being in a park like this it's almost like a magic trick to take the the street that was there dry joy i sorry i want to say driver for some reason dryberg street was much wider parking quite a big road and that the city council took a large part of that intended a park and you wouldn't have even noticed or most people would not have noticed how much space was taken up by the car parking because you sort of automatically don't notice it because it's an unseen in between or whatever you call it and then it becomes part of a park and you do have more of a sense of its its space or what uh, certainly if you replace it with trees or something that's actually um,
1: tangible. Walking along here on Macaulay Road this is Mm -hmm. by where we're sitting now in North Melbourne. It's a major sort of east-west thing. And it major the public records office again. But they've got this sort of very large paddocky space, um, uh, which is mostly car park. Yeah, and I know things. that one. But just walking past here the other day, I noticed there's an enclosed area behind the fence so you see it from the footpath. But it's almost like a bushland landscape that is sort of reasserting itself and coming back. But it's a totally... And I've not been critical of public records offices at all, but it's, it's, un, it's an in-betweeny space. Oh, oh my I God. hear someone to mention. Yes. Um,
0: that really is Mr. Whippy driving past.
1: This is really good. <laughs>
2: does
0: Whippy he come regularly to here?
1: He does. Oh, yeah. lately, uh, yeah. it's all this time. I was here uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was full of families and, you know, it was festive and all that. And it was amazing. I was sitting in a camp chair having a beer, reading a book. Is soup. that a, allowed? Well, <laughs> Thinking
0: of beer in gardener Reserve? There's no sign for it, so I guess it's okay. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, I so was, that's what you were doing.
1: I hope my secret's safe with you. But... Um, it was fascinating to see everyone walking like zombies towards <laughs> Mr Whippy, um, fam- <laughs> adults, children. Well, it's a
0: happening a bit now, not overwhelmingly, but people have turned, turned towards it. There was a 70s horror movie based on Mr Whippy, that oh, kind of concept, you know, sort of follow it. It's easy, low-budget kind of win. Another one I could add to that in a similar vein is, have you read David Sornings' book Blue Lake? The, it's about the, what was the North Melbourne Swamp? I
1: know of that Blue Lake. I haven't read that book, and I know of the book. I'd like to read it, but it's, it's quite local story. to here,
0: actually. And it also, I think, interestingly, a lot of what he got out of, um, a lot of the work was came out of the public records office and that wonderful experience of dredging up, because they have all these kind of bureaucratic records in there that you can piece together a more personal story from. So that book does that around people that lived for, for a time in the Dudley Flats, the informal settlement in the what was the swamp that was drained. David sort of talked about the, what was the swamp area now as being one of those places that is so kind of hostile to you making sense of it, that it is almost like a
1: you know, non-space. Maybe you should do a show on the Blue Lake one day, because it brings into into conversation here, the indigenous, you know, the you know, first peoples here, and the, uh, the way, I mean, I'm sitting here, we're celebrating what is actually a really Europeanised landscape and made Mm -hmm. even more intensively so in a way by the revegetation and the spaceship toilet and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and the playground. But in the beginning of the book,
0: I'm just reading it
1: to you. I've got a um, dedication poem from Kath Walker um, called Municipal Gum. And there's a picture of a gum tree near him in a, a median in um, which has got gravel around it, but there's this wonderful Kath Walker poem about she's just looking on dolefully on this you, you know, probably up in Brisbane where she was. Uh, just the idea, you know, us whitey's got, you know, gum trees with asphalt felt for their shoes, you know, they're just um they're municipal artifacts. They're not they're ripped out of the any understanding of the wild and the bush scape and all that kind of stuff. And then they are and she Yeah, she likens it to a broken, castrated cart horse, poor thing, sort of nightmarish vision of a municipal gum. I mean, I've mediated a little bit by saying that this particular gum there is massive and provides so much shade and protection to the area, but it is still... And it's sort of gallantly
0: going on being a tree in in this bizarre, constrained urban environment. And that's sort of consistent with an urban forest strategy, but there is something confronting about it, and also... I think should be confronting in terms of when you're thinking about any place in Australia and and the landscape has been created on top of or in an attempt to erase Indigenous people and their connections to place and that poem captures that quite well. What's another discarded object in Dardiner's book that you might want to talk about? Crutches, um, Crochet? That's particularly sad when it's a homemade discarded object.
1: Yeah, well, there's a big crocheted rug that was on a park near here. Um, and this is set up as um, correspondence from that fictitious park body to this park, to the Lost Property Department. And there's, yeah, there's a picture of a yeah, someone with be a, better explaining.
0: It's quite a large, I guess, a, a large hand cro- is crocheted. I'm not much of a craft person, but a colourful crocheted rug, you know, like a bedspread. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. clean and it's been spread on the park benches, almost as though it's now a couch. It gives a slight sense of being inside someone's house, actually, and leaving something that big and homemade behind is odd. So, what did you make of it? It's
1: cool. Thrown by the sight. We feel for this throw, treated like a throwaway, dumped in the park and told to go away. We were wrenched to find this retrenched wench, unravelling on a bench, coming undone in the sun. We think that its dumpster behaved like a monster and surely could have found a nicer way to throw away this throw. Or perhaps we've got it wrong and this throwaway, sarong is a runaway, not a castaway, having a bit of a lark in the runaway beauty of our hidden away park. At the end of the day, who can be sure? But we'd like to reassure our new friend that we won't shoo her away. In fact, we invite her to stay. That's a message we hope she can take away. So I've cut in many of these, I've sort of imagined them as a, as a being. I don't know. I was going to say I poured spirit into them. They seem to have... We've um,
0: anthropomorphized them. Yeah, anthropomorphised
1: them, <laughs> them. That's a hard word to say. The, this is... One more, maybe. Yep. Um, near here, near the... Uh, I cheated a bit and went out of the park a bit on this one, right, But it's near the Limerick Arms pub, which is just around the corner from here. I was <laughs> it's a walking one day and there was just a <laughs> single crutch up against a wall. Not I'm
0: picturing someone going, I don't need this anymore, and they just like go on without it. You picture something else. Well, on. I
1: only need one. Yeah. Like, don't you normally need two? My son has broken his ankles in crutches at the moment, so I can see why you need two rather than one. But I
2: guess. Oh, hang on. No, I've,
1: seen I've
0: never been on crutches, so I'm guessing. I just guessed that maybe <laughs> this is stupid, isn't it? That maybe you graduate to one.
1: <laughs> but that's not true. I don't, yeah, anyway. We, we're showing the, the limits of our medical knowledge, but I just, it struck me this, this <laughs> um, lone crutch just abandoned up against the wall. So. And it's right by the Limerick Arms pub, so um, I've probably invested a bit of my own life experience in this. It's called Holding His Own. Picture of a crutch. This poor bloke needs to choose a better way to pass the day other than schmoozing at the boozer. We hear he lost his wife. Now he's choosing to lose his life. We feel for his feelings and don't wish to say much, but clearly he's using the sauce as a crutch. Seems things didn't go to plan for this formerly upstanding man.
0: Yeah, it does bring to mind that phrase "holding up the bar," doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a very light-hearted reference to someone sits in the drinks all day.
1: Now, there's one from your cat.
0: Ah, that's lost cat, but yeah. not lost cat. Yeah, no, Jack, we, one year old. We
1: get these regularly posted around here, and they're quite. I'm not a um, pet owner. You know, mm. I don't have pets. Although I would. I've decided now if I can if I ever do live differently I've only got a tiny little I don't have a garden tiny little balcony but so it's difficult to have a pet but if I did if I lived in a different place I'd have a cockatoo I think Mm. because of recent um, interesting cockatoos which might come to but um, it does move me to see regularly these lost animal Mm. pictures that are posted around here like it's quite regular and often it's lost cats sometimes lost dogs but mostly lost cats I think cats are the things that head off but the emotion in these
0: yeah and they give a real description of you know what I'm often sort of touched by the bit where they sort of imagining what's happened it says they may be stuck in your basement or they may be oh, really? you know like they're already I mean probably they've been locked dropped, driven over by a car but they're thinking about these kind of horrible situations that the cat might be in because that's the horror of not knowing I suppose and that's why they want to know even though they're probably Pretty sure that the cat's dead, and there's a certain location-wise here because just just over the other side of the um, pool and stuff here is the Lost Dogs Home. It's been there for yeah. 100, 120 years. That's getting moved on by the Arden Renewal Project. So it's a sort of slightly euphemistic it's Lost Dogs, as though they go there and sort of um, <laughs> retire. It's also like they get taken there when they're found, and then you know not always going to come out. So there's that kind of interesting thing I find anyway about first of all the sort of subtle I'll try that word again anthropomisation of of domestic animals over time and we were talking earlier about that book um, Orderly Britain I've been reading and that has a section on dog dog poo and how much since the 1970s people clean up after their dogs a lot more and that's sort of gone hand in hand with partly it's about actually taking more care for public spaces like this one, that people wouldn't generally now let their dog poo on the grass and leave it there, you would pick it up and and dispose of it, and that didn't used to be the norm, but there's the reverse of that is actually a lot more expectation, pressure on pet owners to be responsible and if a pet an animal rather, is found without a human, well the municipal machine increasingly is, that they get taken away, and if someone doesn't claim them, then they're and they're gone. And I think of that in contrast to some other cities where you think, oh, like, say, Istanbul has got thousands of cats that are kind of semi public, no one owns them, they just live in public space. And there's not going to be the municipal dog catcher, or whatever they're called, turn up and catch them and take them to the home and wait to be accounted for again. They just exist. So that kind of shift, I think, is part of the, the lost cat thing is that they sort of know if they're not at home, they're probably not. <laughs> I guess it's probably over-dramatising but it's true. It reminds me of one of the, I saw a really bad one like that when I was in New Zealand recently And that I say I was in New Zealand as though I go there all the time I was just there um, unusually for a few days for a conference but um, it had a photo rather than of the whole cat it was actually a found it was sort of not dissimilar to your um, wondering about the found object rather than the lost object it was a close up photo of some fur let's see if I can find it there it is cat found and it's just a photo of a marking of fur and it says around midnight on Wednesday a dead cat was found on the street at Waterloo Quadrant clearly having been hit by a car because when your cat's missing usually that's actually what's happened the cat was a young tabby that looked well fed and well loved the above picture of the cat's distinctive fur patterns on its back so hopefully the owners may be able to identify it. Auckland Council was called to remove the body as it was a traffic
2: hazard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> they already got killed by a car and now they have to get moved because they might get in the way of another car. And we unfortunately had no of getting the body to an emergency vet to scan for a microchip. These posters have been put up so the owners might see them and have some closure as the not knowing is so often the hardest part when a pet goes missing, sending love to the owners at this time. We hope that you see this and get some peace from knowing what happened. So that's sort of like the...
1: Wow, the, it's like, there? you know, the missing in action, the Graves Commission, you know, found a body in Vietnam. Yes! And, you, know, <laughs> you know, making sure the families have closure. Yes!
0: It's yeah, got that intensity around it. And then, you know, I'm someone that had a cat, to t- 21-year-old cat, and... and you know, intensely attached to, to him. Um, so I'm, I'm party to it, but there is something kind of, something in that about the something moment. Something contemporary <laughs> that we
1: might need to think
2: about.
0: We're right next to the North Melbourne pool and you have a poem about North Melbourne pool in there. I can just quickly, you know, I'm interested, my side project interest is very much about local swimming pools and their context. There's hundreds of them in Victoria, but each one of them has this sort of particular story, but also a particular timeline that they're part of. So I've been looking at a few. I hadn't specifically looked at North Melbourne before, but um, it does fit a few of the patterns. So a lot of the earliest um, public pools were uh, baths. You know, it started as a kind of hygienic thing, that's one of them. It was started in 1909 and it was concrete. In 1930s it was remade with tiles um, and it was uh, open to women after that point. (coughs) And then it started to age and in the 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 1980s it was considered to be past its use-by date. It was closed in 1991, as was were many other pools like Fitzroy Pool, Sunshine Pool, that's Hannah in the background there. And it was actually a campaign, local campaign to reopen it, and it was rebuilt in 1906. So that's quite a new outdoor pool by pool standards. But it was not chlorinated until uh, the 1940s, I think. And that's what's your theme in there is a bit about that kind of. How much chemicals goes <laughs> into uh,
1: I'm, The poem in there, that's all very interesting to know, oh, there's lovely background here. Um, There's a sign, I think it's called Chemical Manifest, on the outside, it's municipal, you Mm -hmm. know again, that kind of thinking, and it lists all the chemicals that goes into the pool and it's, it's this huge sign and any passers-by are going to be possibly alarmed by this concoction. It's not
0: necessarily reassuring, I think that's part of, one of the things I find interesting about swimming pools, uh, at their current, oh no not that one Hannah, um, state, because they're now all the ones that were kind of modernised and chlorinated in a few, the last few decades, they're now the ones that are, you know, are decaying. Oh, Hannah, no, 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 no. We've got to get onto the cockaties before we finish, though. She's on top of my headphones. Alright, so, yeah, uh, okay. Hannah, do you want to go back um, to the swing? It's that they were met, made and then were like, these are so modern, you know, new, clean, Olympic modern pools, and then they become old and decayed and saggy really quickly, and the chemical plant is often the thing that fails you know soonest so it's this kind of the modernity you going back to that idea of it then becomes it's it's already declining so the life cycle of these new the newer the pools are the shorter their lifespan seems to be i mean that's not scientifically proven but some of the older pools particularly in regional areas that are a bit more like river enclosures and stuff they didn't have so many moving parts and chemicals so they didn't break down in in the same way yeah that chlorination part is kind of like that's the thing that makes it clean but it's also, also incredibly intensive thing to have to do that means that if as soon as the council stops you know supporting it they're very very vulnerable and that closure in 1991 here was part of a kind of pattern of pools that were built in the mid-20th century were closed during com- council amalgamations at the time as well because that's why Fitzroy was closed. So the last thing I want to ask you about is one of these little fascinating side projects that you seem to have taken up. It concerns a cockatoo. Yeah. A long dead cockatoo who had a name and who lived in North Melbourne.
1: Yeah. I'll give you a quick the reader's yeah. digest on that. So I was just idly uh one day on the web as you do uh looking at something called melbourne streets which i recommend i think it's curated by the hotham history Society. yeah that's a good site that one um, yeah. and it does these sort of like it provides all these like cadastral property level histories deep dead dives i don't quite know how it's all done it's done really really well so for some reason i found myself looking at the site for the courthouse hotel which is a pub on the corner, of Queensbury and Errol Streets in North Melbourne, just opposite the Old Town Hall there. And that pub had been closed for the last few years, uh, the owners had tried to sell it and it hadn't gone anywhere, and then they locked down, it was all... Anywho, for someone who's interested, probably too interested in pubs, uh, I wondered what was happening, and I looked at the history and it's it's sort of from the art deco era that the building that's there now so i'm reading down the line it starts off as the peacock hotel in 1850 and i learned that peacock, the peacock there are lots of pubs called peacock because it was a thing of a, uh, a symbol of good fortune oh. in england in, in historically monasteries had peacock things and stuff anyway it was the peacock hotel but at some point there'd been a courthouse there which i think is long gone but it was renamed House Hotel. So I'm reading down this thing down this timeline. I thought, and then there's this paragraph says a famous resident, Mm. and it was so well written. I don't know if this is like citizen history, but it was just the the elegance of the prose caught me if nothing else. But anyway, what it told in a nutshell there was a family called the Duggins that had good Irish Catholic name in North Melbourne, which is what it was all about here, had the pub. From, I think from 1900 to 1960 and it had this thing saying there was a famous resident called Cocky Duggan and it was a cockatoo that lived on a perch out in the old courtyard out the back which I've subsequently seen um, where in the old days with pubs the men's toilets were you, know, you had to go through a courtyard out to this. and Cocky Duggan lived out there he was a famous resident one of the things he was famous for he did uh, I'm quoting from it more than passable imitation of men throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the other party trick of Cocky Duggan was to, uh, on occasion, fly, uh, escape, and fly up over Queen'sbury Street to the top of the Town Hall, way up the flagpole. If you, it's like way up. And then describe this caretaker, someone, Jock. He was a Scottish man who lived in there. Who would have to go and retrieve the uh, Cocky Duggan and bring him back down so i thought oh, what a great story so two things i just straight away wrote a poem called ode to the king about cocky duggan <coughs> shall i read that yes let's hear and that then i can tell a bit more about what happened what well, you've found duggan. out since "Ode to the king cocky duggan ruled the gents at the courthouse hotel he was full of common sense that he'd regularly <laughs> expel in a retrying, retching refrain to explain In opening hours his lordship wielding special powers from his throne listened in on subjects pleading with God on the white telephone. After bugging each combustive globe the old royal rogue would loudly play back the highlights. The best were supplied by footy pinites. The earth-suffering monarch monarch craved attention for a royal role causing him to skylark fiendishly atop the town hall flagpole. Equally long-suffering caretaker Jock would gallantly ascend to retrieve the bloody thing, crowd cheering a rescue fit for a king. One, ta- one day his retainers suddenly shot through and Cocky was banished to the Royal Melbourne Zoo where for years he scared kids with a thunderous chunder or two. So that last part alludes to what happened to him afterwards. Yeah, and it's a bit of imagination for me. But... So I looked into it. Uh, it said, oh, at the end of this thing, the Duggans left, and then it said the bird was—it's kind of rough language—donated yeah. to the Melbourne Zoo. <laughs> I thought, oh, poor Mr. Duggan. And so I contacted them, and um, with the help of Anne Bethune, the animal records officer, she looked into what happened. And Cocky only died in 2001.
0: Can you establish when was that first story from the 1920s or 30s? Uh-huh. Uh, well. When was he a famous resident climbing
1: the court? Well, before 1960, uh, because yep. that's when the Duggans left and he mm-hmm. was donated to the zoo. So, mm. But the notes in the file at the zoo that this animal records officer turned up and said there was still an old lady visiting him, Mr. Duggan, until the late 1970s, and she said he'd been her cockatoo, she must have been one of the Duggans, I, I assume, for 30 years, and before that her mother's cockatoo for 35 years. Huh. So. If you add all that up, and then he dies in 2001, this bloke must have been nearly 100 yeah. when he died. And cockatoos can, in captivity, live to up to 100. So, um, and I've got this great picture as a child, when my mother took us kids uh, with our babysitter going to the zoo, I remember being, I was about five, thunderstruck by the great bird Avery at the time just in the Melbourne Zoo. So I, I like to fantasise that I saw Mr. Duggan. And this
0: is, it's like the shoe thing, like you actually met him and that memories is sort of like yeah, unfiled maybe. and it's come to the surface when you saw the article. And he maybe, maybe you interacted with him then and it's sort of like, well, that's a good fantasy to have, maybe. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll, I'll keep that. Um, and the end of the story is, the pub's been saved. The people that own... Um, Really lovely people that own and run Norton's Hotel on Royal Parade. Oh no, not. No. Well, yeah, everyone does. They've taken out the lease on the courthouse, so they've yeah. saved it from predatory developers.
0: And are they going to include any cockatoos and any? They name?
1: have undertaken to uh, produce my palm in a framed version, and they're getting a friend to paint a picture of Cocky Duggan and Mr. Duggan. You we've found got a photo? Yeah, you found, found it. Photos. You
0: got those from the zoo? We got those from the no us. from
1: city of Melbourne's archives that you get on the website and you go into Duggan family and there's copy. Um, mm. The sad kind of arresting thing was I found this photo of him, it's an old mm. photo, it's definitely Mr Duggan, but he's got this big chain on his foot at this point uh, to his perch so I've got fed up with him flying up to the town hall. Yeah, and, uh, that's
0: a sad detail isn't it? Because that like the idea that he was constantly bothering people by escaping and making them get in back. So they put an end to that, and then the zoo, the mind boggles. I'm going to end with, imagine what is, what, what if Mr. Duggan had uh, fully escaped, would they have put up a lost bird poster? Uh, yeah. A description, lost cockatoo. Old, angry, pukes when disturbed. More than possible impersonation of vomiting. Is that what they said? More than possible impersonation. Of men. Of men of vomiting, of me. yeah. We, do
1: we vomit differently, men and women? But certainly <laughs> it was specific to, you know.
0: Maybe you made it all the way to Gardeners Reserve back then, you know.